Hello and welcome to the Parkview Podcast. I'm Paul Hank, Investment Analyst at Parkview, and joining me is Osama Himani, CIO of the firm. One of the key themes that we at Parkview have been researching this year has been the world of cybersecurity. We quickly found out that truly understanding the space and all of the challenges and opportunities that come with it requires the knowledge of real experts within the field. In today's episode, we are lucky to be joined by Dr. Sandro Geiken. Sandro is an internationally renowned expert in cybersecurity who currently runs his own research institute at Germany's prestigious private university, ESMT. He is an Oxford University Fellow and serves in an advisory role at both MIT and at Harvard. As a governmental advisor, he authored Germany's first foreign policy on cyber and serves as a military diplomat in NATO's SPS program. In the industrial world, he has advised the C-suite of many DAX-listed companies and has founded four companies focused on military cybersecurity. Sandro's unique insights are hugely helpful for those wanting to get a better understanding of the key global trends in the space, an insider take on current geopolitics, and an overview of the main challenges and opportunities available for investors. And with that, I'll hand over to Osama. Well, thanks for that, Paul. You know, over the past few months, we have seen a lot of investor interest in cybersecurity, and there are many reasons for that. And in one respect, you know, it makes headlines. Today, for example, as we're recording this, Australia is under a cyber attack, apparently by state-sponsored actors. So, so these things do make a lot of headlines. Another element is that people are, investors are looking for ideas. And the technology sector is very particular because it's highly concentrated. So if you take the two largest companies in any subsector, for example, hardware or or e-commerce, the two largest companies in any of these sectors represent more than 50% of the market capitalization of that sector. You know, investors are willing to, to contemplate the, the Amazons and Facebooks of the world up to a point, but then they, they want other ideas. And these ideas are typically in highly specialized, much smaller companies. And, and this is where, you know, areas like cybersecurity be, begin getting interesting for investors. And, and I guess the third reason is, is the advent of 5G. People are rightly contemplating that as more things are connected to uh, the internet, then, then questions of cybersecurity have much broader implications than we've had in the past. Now, you know, as for an outsider, cybersecurity is a very broad area, and we're very lucky to be talking to Sandro today. So maybe, Sandro, you can, you can help us think as for, for people who are not specialized in the field. You know, how would we categorize the, the key trends at, at the global level? What are, what are the key drivers of sources of risk? And what are the, the main areas of innovation? Yes, thank you. Uh, and thank you for uh, to, to allow me to be part of the podcast because it's quite exciting, especially to, to speak to the topic of investment in this field. So um, I think on the one hand, we have to say that um, the whole cybersecurity problem at large is still pretty much unsolved. Um, we have some very good securities in place now in some of the mobile phone architectures, which make attacks on these mobile phones very hard, not impossible, but hard. Um, uh, because there's been a lot of engineering uh, around this and a lot of architectural change on behalf of the operating system owners. But in most other areas, uh, wherever there's a PC, and in particular worrisome in, in most machines, cars, airplanes, and everything, security is still 
not that great in, in many areas. And um, there is still a lot possible. The reason why we don't see as much as could be possible is mainly because, um, uh, not because security is working, but because uh, offense is very, very hard. Um, so to get really good hackers who are capable to hack into systems is uh, very hard and uh, hackers are a very scarce resource as most Western countries have recently witnessed because they were trying to stand up their own troops in this field. So uh, the lack of attacks is not actually the functionality of security, but simply a lack of hackers uh, in this space who, who work for different uh, entities so we could see these things. So. Um, we have to say it's, uh, it's still a very open problem. And uh, as a very open and unsolved problem, of course, it's still a very big risk. Um, but for an investor and for many investors, of course, also a very big opportunity. It's very interesting, actually. I hadn't really thought of the, the question of potentially lack of hackers. Now, it, it's hard to talk about cybersecurity and not, not think of you know, geopolitical tensions and risks and and, and there have been many, many state-sponsored cyber attacks ac across the world. And, yeah. and I think most countries are, are probably guilty of something. And, and, and it's been used in, in different ways. And, but there also there's been considerable use of, of technology in shaping public opinion in elections. And this is something that has really come under, under yeah. scrutiny, whether, whether it is the Russia uh, in the U.S. elections. Or, and, and, and then there are other things, you know, fear of companies like Huawei. Are they, is this overblown? You know, how, how seriously should we be taking these things? And is this a new normal? I mean, should we all be you know, looking at this and saying, well, this is, this is a new reality that we need to live with? No, I mean, absolutely. It's very, especially in the, in the high-end field of espionage and sabotage and, and intelligence operations, Cold War operations, um, cyber is the new golden key and, and the new go-to strategy. Um, it's, it's highly attractive um, if you manage to get a good troop of people and basically 10, 10 people, 15 people are already enough to wreak havoc and, and um, divert hundreds of millions of euros, US dollars one way or another. Um, so if you manage to get your hands on a good team and get your hands on some tech uh, through the gray market or something, you can do a lot. And you can, you can really turn the tides on power games. Um, you can get money. Uh, North Korea, for instance, is uh, using hackers for, for 10 years already to um, subvert economic sanctions against the country. So the, a large part of the cybercrime globally, uh, especially blackmailing with crypto uh, encryption mechanisms, uh, comes from uh, the North Korean state to to undermine mm. uh, economic sanctions and to get money back into the country, which is very, very effective, by the way, by now. So um, in other words, if you're looking at this and you have a bunch of people somewhere in the basement of your barracks uh, who can hack into any kind of computer, be it the stock exchange, be it uh, large tech companies, steal blueprints, um, be it the big banks, um, go directly to the accounts, blackmail people, go for strategic secrets of your favorite adversary. Um, that's the, 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 the strategic uh, mindset uh, is, is endless. I mean, you, can, you have endless opportunities and also a very rich set, thousands and thousands of tactics you can pursue. Um, so we must say that this is very interesting. Um, over the past years, it has been... Um, uh, there has been restraint and, and modesty in using these tools in, in different scenarios, mainly because the U.S. have been very strong in uh, retaliating to China and escalating the, the, the cyber dimension with China. Uh, as we all know, China was very um, 
keen on um, industrial espionage all across the globe in Western countries, especially in the US. And um, <clears throat> they never took the concerns and the complaints we had against China for serious. And they said uh, to themselves, obviously, um, well, if, if uh, as long as somebody, uh, nobody escalates this, apparently they're, they're tolerating it and they're just pretending to be concerned so the public doesn't speak up. Um, but then the U.S. Uh, escalated this and up to the level that they were arresting Chinese generals in the U.S. and uh, up to the level of um, states, heads of states talks between Obama and Xi. And uh, after that, China uh, basically stopped uh, conducting large-scale industrial espionage against the United States, uh, more or less. Um, they still did some strategic espionage and defense, but that is considered fair game among intelligence agencies. Um, and as uh, you have to know which kinds of weapons are being developed, where they're being exported to, to protect yourself. So, um, and, and from that on, actually, there were some, some cyber skirmishes everywhere. North Korea was still trying to get money. Um, the Western nations were trying to figure out how to get this to work in the first place. Um, Russia was conducting its usual strategic espionage campaigns, but apart from that, it was mostly quiet. Um, what we're now seeing, however, with the corona crisis, and it's interesting to see the impact of something like a pandemic on, on these cyber issues, is that uh, the times of modesty are, are over. So uh, the, the emerging Cold War between China and the United States um, kind of seems to have uh, incentivized China to be much more aggressive again and much more um, forward-leaning. Um, so we're seeing um, a lot of espionage on development of vaccines we're seeing from China, but also from other nations. Um, we're seeing a lot of um, interest in being the first to, to a vaccine, stealing the blueprints, trying to copy that. We're seeing interest in public health data, of course, because those are directly related to economic data. And those, again, are related directly related to export and trade issues. And um, unfortunately, uh, we've seen from China, apparently, this was something that was just released two weeks ago, uh, also attempts to sabotage uh, the development of vaccines from other countries, alongside with other attempts of rattling sabers and, and showing, doing, uh, showing military force in cyberspace from China and other countries. So I think what we're seeing is that uh, as the, the general global situation destabilizes, um, a, a lot of uh, different entities and forces who have been um, quiet and modest and uh, were trying not to not to rock the boat too hard are now um, less reluctant and they're now um, coming to the fore and um, doing more aggressive operations because they feel that it's legitimate and necessary and um, I think this is something that will develop over the next few months and we'll see uh, a lot of very nasty developments. In a way, Sandra, what you're saying is is that is that the risks are are actually going to be increasing, and 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 the fact that we haven't, you know, we we've seen given the capabilities that exist among different actors, we've seen a, a relatively low level of of cybercrime compared to the potential that is there. Would that be a good way of of summarizing it? Absolutely. I mean, the yeah, the the capabilities of offense actors globally are much higher than what we see. What we see is mostly the riffraff of uh, small-time crooks and uh, little thieves trying to generate some noise, sometimes larger campaigns. But there's much more uh, hidden uh, in in the in the military barracks and in the intelligence services um, that can be pulled out now. And the emerging Cold War, uh, the unstable um, economic situation globally and regional conflicts will certainly lead to a strong surge in offensive cyber operations.
Sandro, listening to your responses in the previous question, how would you rate the West's overall preparations when it comes to these kind of potential threats? Um, do you think that labor is being allocated efficiently across the public and private sector? Um, and in general, uh, is there scarcity with these kind of skilled resources? Um, well, I mean, the, nobody's really doing great in cyber, including China, Russia, and the United States. Um, so even they have significant shortcomings, significant weaken, weaknesses in their infrastructures. Um, but one, one, we have a bunch of problems in, in the West with our staff. So first of all, is that we have very little knowledge about offense and very few offensive hackers. So um, we don't have, we don't really have a lot of intelligence about the other nations. They do have much more intelligence about us because they have simply more cyber spies than we do. And they're uh, smarter at deploying them. So uh, that is one symmetry. And um, also the, the development of defense in our countries, be it security products or a defensive stance of the nations in diplomacy and in, in military attitude is much less informed by offense than in countries like uh, the US, uh, China or Russia. Um, so in many ways, um, uh, this inhibits uh, our, our security and weakens our security. Uh, in addition to that, we have a bunch of um, mechanisms in the markets. And if you're looking at the, especially at the commercial space, but also at the government space, when it comes to buying security products, which kind of product do they like? How do they want to use it? How do they implement it? Which are making it very hard for good products to actually be bought and implemented. Um, so, for example, there's the um, one one very big problem right across uh, all the industries and the governments is that they simply don't have good cyber specialists. And we're not even talking about experts, but just somebody who knows how to run and configure and implement a firewall. Um, so even that is very, very hard. And I, I know a lot of very large co co companies with hundreds of thousands of employees who don't have a security team, a security team bigger than 10, 15 people, if you're looking at the people who are really good. Um, which, of course, is not nearly enough to, to understand the problem across the technologies of the company and, and master uh, the problem. And it's getting even worse in, in the government space because the government pays much less uh, than the economy for these experts. Sometimes it's a factor of five to eight. And um, so they, they get what we call in Germany the industrial garbage. Um, so everybody who doesn't get a job in the industry, despite the fact that the industry is desperate for cyber experts, uh, goes to the government. Apart, of course, from some people who are in the government because they're convinced of being in the government, who are still very good. But uh, the large majority of people working for the government is just simply very, very bad. Um, and then if you have a bad, uninformed cu uh, customer uh, who doesn't really know what the problem is and who doesn't, who's very uncertain about how to come to a solution and what to buy and what to do, given the high complexity on the technical plane as well, um, then you're having a high risk for market failure, which is also something that's happening. Uh, there's a lot of market failure in cybersecurity, unfortunately. It takes a very long time to notice the failure. Um, but I think especially now when offense is uh, getting more aggressive again, we will note many of these failures. From, from an looking at things from an investor perspective, you know, investors um, would be looking at the space from, from two angles. One is the vulnerability of their, their own inf information investments to cyber attack and, and the opportunities that cybersecurity companies as, a, as, as investments create. So let's, let's think a bit about the risks first and, and think about, you know, there, there are multiple factors at play. And, and I think you, you began alluding to that, you know, about the 
preparedness of some large companies in terms of their their workforce and in-house capabilities and, and understanding what what needs to be done and and what solutions to be purchasing now you know there is companies do have a certain responsibility and for their own and, and their own investors in, in securing their businesses but but also they are purchasing these services from other companies now we've seen regulation come in and I'm wondering if you know, what your thoughts are on the assignment of, of responsibilities and, and what regulation is doing. So, so British Airways was fined a very large sum, over 180 million pounds for a data breach. I don't know enough about the details of that breach to, to really opine one way or another, but it strikes me as a very, very large number that, that they were fined. And then GDPR comes in and, and also assigns extremely high fines for any company that doesn't properly secure its customer data. But, but we know that every company has some sort of cyber presence now, even you know, the chocolate shop across the street from me sends, has sent me an email regarding you know, GDP, GDPR and my data, etc. I'm pretty sure they don't know what they're doing. Uh, and and you know, is regulation targeting the right people here? And, and, and shouldn't the, the companies that provide cybersecurity solutions shoulder some of the responsibility, not just the companies themselves? So, so where, where do you draw the line? How would you think about mm-hmm. that division? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, actually a, a very, very big problem in cybersecurity because basically an, an unregulated uh, cybersecurity market, as it has been for, for many decades, um, ends up in a lemon market situation from uh, the, the situation described by Ekalov. Um, <clears throat> so basically because the, the product is so complex and the entire process, also the offense process is so complex, nobody really understands anything of it unless you, you do offense uh, like I do, for example, and you know how, how these things work. Um, but because everything is so complex, it's very, very difficult to decide what is a good solution. And then if you don't know what is a good solution, you choose the, the, the cheapest one, mm-hmm. uh, the one where you like the color, but you, you don't make a rational choice. So this is a, a classic case of a market failure. So in case of a market failure, the state has to step in if there's a public interest, and of course there's a public interest in the security and safety associated with cybersecurity in many cases. And then the the state has to uh, recommend or uh, regulate uh, certain standards in in certain areas. And then uh, being a German, and uh, I can tell you that we have not just GDPR, we have hundreds of cybersecurity regulations by now for all different kinds of sectors, different kinds of situations. So um, we're drowning in uh, regulation if you want. Um, but the big problem about the regulation, and, and, and I have to say, by and large, regulation does help. So uh, at least the, the heavy fines associated with GDR, uh, GDPR, for example, which you mentioned, uh, got some of the big companies to take the problem a bit more serious than they did before. So they spent more money on it. They actually hired people on it. So there was a good, a positive impact. Um, however, um, Um, spending money is not necessarily a guarantee for increasing security in this field. And uh, the bigger problem in all this regulation, and we don't have a solution for that in the regulatory space right now, is that they have to define open standards um, because the technology is so fast and outpacing uh, the regulatory process at any rate. If you're writing standards on what should be uh, a good cybersecurity technology to implement, they're basically saying, yeah, you need some kind of firewall or something or encryption, which should be state of the art. 
because if they would uh, describe it more in a more detailed fashion, it would be outdated by the time um, the technology is, uh, by the time the regulation is in the market. And now the problem with the open standards is if you're just saying you should use state-of-the-art technology, of course, that every producer of cybersecurity technology uh, puts a sticker on top of his product saying this is state-of-the-art. And uh, then again, you end up in the lemon market situation. And we have a lot of different motivations of buyers in this market. Uh, so we, we have uh, funny abbreviations for them in the hacker community. Uh, one strategy, for example, is uh, the CWC, that is the cheapest way to compliance. So uh, you're trying to buy the, the, the products that gets you through the regulatory process, but doesn't cost too much money. Of course, you don't want to buy the cheapest product. That's the five euro product from China, because that would look irresponsible, but you're buying the product next to the cheapest product. Uh, another uh, incentive we see is the cheapest way to insurance. So you're buying insurance and then you're looking at what the insurance company actually wants from you. And then you're buying the cheapest product there. Um, so your insurance covers the rest. Um, another interesting incentive in the market, which is very frequent also among government clients, is what we call the, uh, the OGP strategy. <clears throat> That's the other guy's problem strategy. So you're basically trying to, make the, the sh to, to move the responsibility to some other entity. And for example, what the German government uh, entities uh, and, and um, uh, institutions like to do in this situation, if they're confronted with cybersecurity responsibility, they want to hire Microsoft, Cisco, Deutsche Telekom, SAP to solve it for them. So that way they have, it looks like they made a responsible decision because they asked a big company to solve the problem, but they're actually just moving, uh, sh shifting the responsibility to someone else. And if something bad happens, they can say, well, it's not my fault. If, if Microsoft screws it up, then, then how am I supposed to, to, to solve it? Um, so uh, those but, are- but, but, that, but, yeah. but that other guy's problem in a way is you, you're, you're, you're moving the problem to a specialist, right? Um, yeah, the, the interest is just to, the, the, you're not interested if the specialist is good or not. You're just interested in that the, 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 the process of moving it to someone else looks responsible, um, but it doesn't really have to be responsible. And that's mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately something that happens very frequently because um, when they move it to the, to the very big companies uh, and you look at the market, then there's actually a ton of other solutions in the market with uh, startups or with very good tech companies, which would be way better uh, than what the big uh, um, uh, big companies are offering, um, but those are never chosen. You always have yeah. to, as a startup, you almost always have to work with a prime uh, to get into government contracts because of this problem. Interesting, and 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 I guess in another part of this, you know, another reflection is is shifting it to to other big companies was was in fact a, a workable solution for the market as a whole. The, the issue wouldn't, be, wouldn't entail as many risks as, as we see right now. Would that yeah, sure, as long as nobody notices and, and, and as long as there's not really a big problem. And if there is a big problem, it's deep inside your systems and you can hide it from everyone. Um, then these um, evasive maneuvers and evasive strategies work. Um, but the interesting thing right now is, and, and that's been actually been going on for three, three to five years now, is that there's a bunch of industries who have a real interest in security. And not the industries you would wish have a real interest, like militaries or defense contractors, but some uh, chemical industry, for, for example, or the automotive industry. They have a real 
substantial interest in cybersecurity because they say if, if for example, my petrochemical plant is being attacked and the failsafe is being attacked, which has happened, uh, then there's a big hole in that place where the, where the petrochemical plant is and, and hundreds of people die and my stock courses crash and everything is, looks very bad and it will be a problem that will stay with me uh, for a few years and the regulator will, will come down hard on me and things like that. So um, there's a bunch of companies right now uh, and a bunch of sectors actually, like aeros aerospace to some extent, uh, not space, but flight um, and, and um, automotive, chemical, um, who are, have a very strong and uh, real interest in cybersecurity. And the interesting thing about these guys is that they function completely different from, from the rest of the market. And because they are not looking for a cheap way out of the problem or just pushing it to someone else, but because they know they have to solve this problem. And they are very much interested in smaller companies, in niche products, in great technical ideas. They take the time to actually understand these ideas. And I think for many startups, um, especially with new technical ideas, uh, getting onto these kinds of clients and uh, an interesting client who actually wants to solve the problem is a great way to grow uh, a product uh, very sizable, very quickly. Turning towards opportunities for investors, what would you say are some of the key growth areas in the space um, that investors should be looking out for? Well, like I said, you have to, the, the problem is really a matrix of different dimensions. It could be N dimensions really, but the, you have different kinds of security needs. And uh, usually in the industry, we distribute them by, as a, the CIA uh, triad is confidentiality. So nobody should know what the content is of your communication. It's integrity. So your uh, data shouldn't be manipulable and, and there should be no sabotage possible and availability. So you, you have to always be able to access your machines and work on them. So that's one, one way uh, to look at the problem. And then you have all these different kinds of technologies spread across these different uh, requirements and trying to solve different bits and parts and pieces of it and then combine themselves to one functional uh, security solutions. So we have the detection, uh, the whole detection shenanigans, threat intelligence, you have encryption, you have architectural security things, you have uh, niche ideas like AI uh, anomaly detection or moving target um, architectures. Um, so there's this, but it's hard to say which, which one of those are uh, really recommendable. I think you really have to keep in mind a, a very, carefully crafted strategy on which kind of market do you want to access, which kind of markets incentive do you want to address. Uh, I know some companies who are hugely successful because they know exactly that the clients are just looking for a cheap way to come to compliance and they're not actually interested in security. If, if that is your target market and you know how to craft a product which caters to this kind of client, you don't really have a security product, but you still have a great product and you can still be a great company. Um, on the other hand, yes. if you want to want to come to the real security uh, market and, and cater to the real interest, which of course is the most sustainable strategy because eventually everybody has to have a real interest in security, um, then you really have to assess which of these technologies are really effective to which extent and how can I overlap them um, to, to confront the gaps which are persistent in many cases. And there's a lot of stories from uh, of course, from, from different kinds of technologies, which took two, three, four years to be developed. And then a hacker just took like took them apart in two or three weeks on a very fundamental level. Uh, two examples for that, which is one reason, by the way, why, why offense, having knowledge about offense is hugely important because only then you know the problem. 
So one example, for example, is, is um, a moving target approaches. Uh, that's been an idea in technical security where you uh, relocate different processes on the computer and diff to different spaces, move it ahead. And the idea is that a hacker always expects a process to be at a certain place in a computer. And then if he doesn't find it there, he's lost and he's being kicked out of the computer, can be detected and, and so on and so forth. But um, <clears throat> What hackers did simply was to calculate the offset from one process to another. And the offset, of course, always has to be the same. So that is a constant. Otherwise, the computer would be completely confused. And once you know the offset, you know exactly all the new address, uh, addresses of the, of the processes. And then, then the whole problem, which was being researched and developed for years and years, was bypassed in two weeks. And it's an architectural bypass. You can't actually solve that anymore. And another example is the whole AI shenanigans. Um, many, many uh, AIs were being used to, to learn um, anomalies, for example, to increase uh, detection, threat intelligence, and so on. Can be First of all, they can be taught different things, so, so they look the other way when you're crafting a real attack. And uh, then you can also, because of the high complexity of the processes inside a computer, you can also always pack your attack in, in different fashion. We call that binary packing in, in offense. And you can just always pack your attack in different kinds of binaries and continue to do so until one gets through. Um, so uh, with many of these technologies, if you're interested to develop a real security technology, which is not at some point uh, surprisingly in the press as being entirely inefficient and then kicked out of the market, you really have to understand offense and you really have to understand the whole fundamental architectural principle on how it works. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sandro. This is indeed a lot of food for thought. I mean, it's, uh, the, the space is indeed uh, quite complex and, and the issues touch on a, on a number of, number of areas. But listening to you, it's also very clear that, that both the risks are substantial and the, the opportunities for investors are really quite substantial if, if they're looking the right places within, within the space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's still no market champion in cybersecurity. You can still build the market champion. Yeah, and, and that's remarkable, actually, given, given how, how tech is prone to become very, very concentrated. That's, that's a big statement that you're saying, that yeah. there is no market champion. Well, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Clients of Parkview may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.